Kia ora everyone at home. Um, today we're talking with Marianne Schultz, a dancer, teacher and historian. Um, would you like to just tell us your story, Marianne, your dance history, your life history? Sure. Um, thanks for having me. <clears throat> so, yes, I am those three aforementioned things. Um, dancer and a teacher and a historian and uh i think that i've always been a dancer i think i was born a dancer um i'm sure of it actually because <laughs> i started um asking my mother if i could have dance lessons when i was about four and a half <clears throat> and so she had to wait till i was five to start and um, from then on, I pretty much have been dancing pretty much since. I've just turned 63 the other day. So <clears throat> it's been my life. Um, and I don't know where it came from. It was just something. I never saw any dance. I lived, my, my father was a farmer <laughs> and my mother was a stay-at-home mom. And so I never really saw it i don't i really don't know where it came from <clears throat> but i uh anyway started when i was young and continued on through high school and in high school i kind of decided that i was going to be i knew I, I, that was going to be my profession and so <clears throat> i started to get more serious about my training and started studying ballet full-time really and got into a small little regional ballet company here in the United States, which is where I am now. And then decided, you know, I would go to university for dance. And at that point, um, in the United States, there were a lot of programs in universities that, that had dance full time. So I, I just decided I would audition for as many as I could uh in the northeast i didn't really want to travel but also i knew that if i was in new york city it would be the best place to be and so i um auditioned for schools there and i got into nyu and so i majored in dance at nyu in the late 70s <laughs> and then from there i didn't finish my degree because one of my teachers in the program at nyu kind of took me under her wing and, and asked if I would be interested in going to the Alvin Ailey School because she thought it would suit me, which is very interesting because, you know, I'm white. <laughs> and she was black. She's African-American. Anyway, I auditioned for them, and I got in as a scholarship student to the Ailey School. So up until that point, I suppose, um, everything was going Everything was going as I wanted it to go. But interesting enough, and this is where I'll interject, a, uh, I suppose, a pertinent aspect to the story, is that I basically was very unwell from about the time I was 17 till 20, till like 16 to 20, even though I was kind of doing the things I wanted to do I became very anorexic, so I had eating disorders, and I had, and I was bulimic. 
And so at that point, I kind of, even though I had achieved these things I wanted to, it was in New York City. It was like, oh my God, this is the thing. I actually had to stop because I wasn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And at that point, I was about 20, 21. I thought that was it. I thought I wouldn't dance again because I could, I reluctantly came to the conclusion that it was making me sick. <laughs> so, um, Anyway, that's an interjection, and we can talk about that some more. But just to carry on with the with the story, um, I, I got I, I obviously I got back into dance, and um, in my twenties, in my mid twenties, uh, I got into a, a company, a professional comp- full time company in New York, which was amazing. It's called Laura Dean Dancers and Musicians, and basically traveled the world with them for a few years. And it was amazing work. It was uh, very cutting edge and very, um, very fulfilling in a very small company, only six dancers. And then from there, I ended up in New Zealand. (laughs) And that's where this kind of the second chapter of my life started, where I started um, dancing in New Zealand and working with people there like Douglas Wright and Limbs and Sarah Foster Sproul, which we can talk about as well. And then, I mean, I've had, because uh, I'm so old, I've had many kind of incarnations of, of, my, of my career. And in my 40s, so, um, I was living in the UK in London with my husband and my children. And I really wanted to do some more, more study, like academic study. And I was very fortunate to be able to find a program that accepted students who were called post-experience. So I, even though I hadn't completed my degree, they let me start a master's program in performing arts. And that was where a huge, massive light bulb went off in my brain to go, oh my God, I love this. And I'm really good at this. For some reason, I'm, I have this facility I didn't know I had, which was for academic study. So I completed that master's degree in the UK, in London. We came back to New Zealand. I decided I wanted to study history so that I could be a dance historian. So I enrolled in the University of Auckland in some undergraduate courses, and then I did an honors year, and then I did a master's, and then I did my PhD in history. So by this time, in my mid-50s, I had completed my PhD and then started dancing again. <laughs> so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a story, I think, that's kind of, I don't know. It's like it starts at one little point and it just kind of ripples out to lots of different things. But as I said, you know, because I'm older, it's just what happens, you know. Life gets bigger. (laughs) Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, I think a lot as a ballerina in recovery, I, um, a lot of that resonated. um, And um, yeah, I, I think also as a I don't know if I'm a dance historian but I've done a lot of theory um now in the U.S. a lot of dance heavy programs will really 
um, I had to write a thesis and, and dance. So some of that also resonated. And it popped up a question that is not actually one of the questions that we have sent to you, but it, I wanted to ask it before I forget. Um, sure. And that is the way that we frame dance history and the way that we document dance history and what we place as um, the legacy of a choreographer or a company and what we don't talk about um, when we like put dance into history books or or writing or somehow um, take it out of the ephemeral. Um, mm. So I'm just wondering what how you as a historian see your role in um, documenting the real life experience of a of a of a dance company or the work um that kind of mm -hmm. um conundrum yeah and or and or maybe <laughs> so yeah that, yeah well what i would say first and foremost is i when i decided that i i wanted to really pursue becoming a dance historian or his uh, and historian of performing arts it was absolutely essential to me that I learned how to be a historian because what had what was happening was that that, that that I'd had an inspiration to kind of write the story of this limbs dance company right in 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 the early 2000s and I tried and I you know I thought oh you know I've got a master's I can do this but really I couldn't I, I, I had facts and figures. I knew about limbs. I knew their, about their archives so I could, you know, but I didn't know how to be a historian. I didn't know how to think as a historian, write as a historian. And so it was absolutely essential to me that I go and study to be a historian. Because my firm belief is that dance is omitted from history. <laughs> you know, there's dance history you know who reads that <laughs> but but history history is a huge um field and people love like history books are one of the most popular books after cookbooks i think as history books and so i was really convinced that in order to insert dance into histories i needed to think like a historian and 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 be trained as a historian and and I'm so happy that I did that because it it meant that when I when I write about dance now, it's never just about dance. It's about the community where that those people work. It's about the social um, scene, of what's happening politically, what's happening economically, what's happening you know racially. All of those considerations come into the stories that I put together. Dance is in it, but dance, to me, dance is not central. But also, having said that, and to get to your question too, um, I love the challenge of having to write about movement. And, you know, what gets said about movement, how people talk about movement is, is really important to me. And I, but I do love that challenge of how do you convey a movement that's, that's, that, may pass in a second how do you convey that to a reader um and so i i try also i think really hard about it before i 
well, as I dive into a story and I've used lots of, you know, um, there's some great dance historians and dance writers in the world. And so I use them as examples, like someone like Deborah Jowett, who, who, you know, she was kind of a forerunner, but she's still, man, she's still amazing. And she, the way she writes about movement has always inspired me. And, and Joan Acachella, she's one of my heroes. Um, so um, I guess, you know, I'm kind of going around the question, but I think for me it's important that I never just think, oh, I'm writing about dance or I'm writing about a dance company. I'm always writing about the context of, of who that person is, where they're working, what what the work is like. I've just been asked, I'm writing a chapter at the moment for a collection of uh, essays for a book that's called Dance, Music, and the Archive. Um, it's, it's, it's coming out of Australia. And so what these researchers are wanting people to write about is, it kind of relates to your question, what gets left in an archive? You know, how does performing arts sit in an archive? Which I, I love the question, you know, like I love it. Like, what do you get? And who's, who's making those choices? You know, like history, like it, all history is a choice that someone makes to, you know, their, their angle is a choice. And so the same with an archive is kind of going one step back. Like, well, what is there? And how do you decipher what, ha what happened? So I'm working on this chapter at the moment of, about two um, New Zealand women who worked in the early 20th century. They weren't dancers per se. They were, they were more entertainers. Um, but I'm really enjoying that process of, because uh, I did a lot of research on these two women for my thesis and, and going back down going, okay, well, what did I discover from the archives? And how do I present what they were doing 100 years ago and talk about it that's, because some of it was quite racist, actually. <laughs> How do I talk about it now in this present day? You know, it's tricky. But that I think that's what history does. That's what history has to do. It has to, it has to bring things to light in a historical context and not just judge it by contemporary standards. Yeah, and I think so much of how... <laughs> we communicate through movement is informed by everything that surrounds us. Um, and yep. the movement language that is always evolving with the current moment. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's really, yeah. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, as well as a historian, you're also a dance teacher or a teacher in general. Um, could you speak to the importance of, uh, the culture that a teacher creates for their students and the impact that it can have on their mental health. And as you mentioned before, like how dance can impact like eating disorders and how people see themselves. Sure. Uh, I, I thank you for asking that question. And also thank you for acknowledging that my teaching is not just in dance. Mm. I, I've just completed a year teaching here in a humanities program <laughs> to pharmacists, students who are studying to be pharmacists. And it was fantastic. I loved it. I had them dance. I did have them dance. Nice. They, yeah. But um, I was thinking about this question. I guess I see my role 
is to A, provide a nurturing environment in a classroom. In that, I mean, um, that, that the students support each other, that they listen to each other, that they watch each other, and they learn from each other. I think it's important in a dance, in a dance setting that you do learn from each other. You actually really watch each other, not in a judgmental way, but just to go learn something like, oh, wow, isn't that interesting how that person moves? I don't do that. I don't do it like that. Or, you know, but not, not a competitive way. And, and it's very hard because dance, you know, <laughs> as you go through the system, you realize it's very competitive. Um, and the other thing I feel is really important as a teacher that I, I don't know, I hope I, I hope I convey this. I don't know if I, do is that you need to be vulnerable and it's really hard to be vulnerable in dance but in a way dance is the most vulnerable <laughs> of, of all the performing arts you know you don't have an instrument to hide behind you don't have a script you don't have you know you are it you are it you are it and in a classroom especially with dance students who are just starting out I think that's the hardest thing to, to, to say, to say to dance students, it's okay that you can't do this right now, that you, you know, that you, you're not, you don't look like everybody else. You don't, it's okay. Like it's all a process, you know? And I, I so I think those are the things. Um, I think dance training has changed tremendously <laughs> since I was young. And I think those, these things that I say that about, you know, watching and listening and being vulnerable, I think they, they come more into the training um, environment or the school environment. I don't think I had that when I was young. <laughs> so maybe I've learned um, that's what I needed. <laughs> can, you, can you speak a little bit about that difference? Um, what you've witnessed now between, you know, the teacher-student relationship now versus? Um, yeah, I think uh, it's become more democratic in a lot of ways. You know, that system of teacher stands here, students stand there, follow what I do, do it exactly like me. I think that's slowly uh, dissolving. Not everywhere, it's not universal. I think in the States, that's slow to die, but from what I've seen in other places, I think that's that's gradually eroding. Um, and, all, you know, because those old dance techniques, and I say old, you know, they're not that old. They're like, what, you know, less than 100 years old. Like those modern dance techniques. I'm not talking about ballet. We can, we can talk about ballet in a separate way, but like contemporary modern dance techniques. Um, th the system was that hierarchical system the teacher shows you what to do you do it and i don't think that happens so much anymore and so if that doesn't happen then what replaces it well you know this more kind of democratic um i, I mean i don't like the word creative I, I really don't like that word but it's like a create a more personal creativity can come to the fore perhaps now, like a, 
a spirit of inquiry. Like I think the languaging around, um, you know, like I, I did a lot of Cunningham technique and the languaging around it went from like, it needs to look this way to like, try and see if it feels this way here, you know? So it's a, a, the, the language that my teachers were using, which was interesting because I like did Cunningham in Israel and then in the U S and that languaging was also an interesting difference, but like just the, to facilitate an, a spirit of inquiry within students, even when you're in quote unquote rigid technique um, yeah. classes. I, my, my theory is a lot of that came from the emergence of release technique, mm. like in the eighties Mm. that really filter through mm-hmm. to a mm-hmm. standard classes mm-hmm. so that that language changed because that was the language that they were using in the release yeah. technique. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting though, because I've had a hard time with release technique because the language is so open. And I think like with any technique, it's easier for certain body types than others. And if you're a muscler, that technique yeah. can be a little bit yeah. difficult. Absolutely, absolutely. But I, but I do think the language seeps through because yeah. people were, it, it was becoming more like listen to what's happening with yourself mm-hmm. or observe, observe what's happening with mm-hmm. yourself, mm-hmm. you know, which wasn't, was like no way it was there in Graham, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. Forget that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'd also like to comment on that, um, being a former student of Marianne's, that going into her classes, she, I, I had this big ordeal with ballet in first year studying where it was all about technique and all about getting it right and what's wrong and what's not. Um, and then going into her class in second year, she, uh, you taught a different style of ballet as well. Chipetti? No, what was it? Chiquetti. It's Chiquetti. Chiquetti. Yeah. Chiquetti, yeah. Um, and I just remember doing um, your classes and feeling like I was actually dancing again. And I like, I just remember like we would be going down the room doing a combination and you would just be screaming, like not angry scream, you'd just be like, like cheering and just like <laughs> singing as you dance. And like just the culture that you created um, as a uh, early childcare teacher, there's a philosophy that's play-based where we, uh, it speaks of how children learn more through play than through being taught rigidly. And I, I remember doing your class and thinking about play-based learning and mm. how it connected with me, not only to like perfect my technique and try harder, but also to uh, have a more positive mindset and to come out of the class feeling good about myself rather than feeling like, oh, I need to go and work on this because this was wrong, that was wrong. But more of like a, I did that and I had fun. And nice. also to speak on the relationships between teacher and students like I consider you a close friend right now and you were a former teacher of mine and that also helps me to like network and to have a relationship with members in the industry and just it breaks down that wall like the generational hierarchy mm. that is mm. present in the industry right now mm. 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 oh that's nice yeah I mean it's interesting because I you know you I became, I, I came into Unitech teaching you, you at a certain age stage in my life. I wonder if I had come 20 years before, whether it would have been the same. Mm. I don't know. You know, maybe I've 
my teaching has changed. I'm, I'm not sure. I've always liked to have fun in class, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Fasu brought up this intergenerational um, conversations, and um, it's something that I think... And I don't know if I maybe have a skewed perception. We all are um, products of our own, you know, perceptions. <laughs> um, but um, I wonder, do you think that there are enough spaces that are, especially like outside of a teaching space, where there are intergenerational conversations going on? Um, yeah. No. <laughs> No, uh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Intense. Probably again more so. You know, when I was talking about vulnerability in dance, I think this is another area where it's the the um, the lack of intergenerational uh, dialogue is more acute in dance, probably than certainly than music <laughs> and and drama. You look at an orchestra, you can have anywhere from a 25-year-old to an 80-year-old sitting in an orchestra, making music together. In a play, same thing. In a film, same thing. In dance, it, it so very, very rarely happens. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, Fasu, you asked me about talking about orchids, and maybe I could talk about that now, because... I really struggled. I've, I really struggled for the first two years. I mean, this, we worked on that piece for for uh, um, a couple years before we premiered it, and then we had a year off, and then we did it again. So it was a very long process. It was maybe, I want to say, I think about two and a half years until we premiered it. And then another year. So, it was, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, is this, should I, is this the right time to talk about that? Because it is an intergenerational experience that I had. And it, funnily enough, uh, in the States, I've had a, a, another intergenerational experience, but it was very different. And I think that reflects on the state of dance in both countries, maybe. Anyway, I'll start with orchids. And I have, um, this, it, it affected me so much, the process, the working process, that I actually wrote about it. Um, I wrote an essay about it because I was really struggling to understand what was so hard about it for me. Um, and I thought, oh, well, <laughs> I'm a writer. <laughs> I'd write about dance. I'll write about this, you know. So that 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 also helped me because I, there was a way into it for me that to try to make sense of it. And so I wrote an essay, and I and I have some things from that essay which might be relevant. Um, and one thing that I started with this writing process about it was there was a review that came out when we finished Orchids, and it's, it talked about. It talked about, oh, I, don't, I can't even remember if it mentioned me by name, but it said something about, you know, a mature dancer. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? You know, am I, am, 
So then I was like, okay, let's go to see, let's go to the meaning of that word. You know, that's always a good place to start, right? And so I found some definitions of mature, fully developed physically, having reached the most advanced stage in a process, reached the end of its term. Those are the three big definitions I found. I'm like, well, which one of those applies to me? <laughs> to me, and what kind of unfolded for me as I as I as I reflected on the process of orchids was there were a couple things, and and when I when I got involved uh, with it, I I approached Sarah and and said, look, I'd love to work with you one day, and so then it just kind of evolved from there. But I had no idea what I was saying when I, <laughs> when I asked her that, you know. I had no idea, really. And then she was like, oh, actually, I'm thinking about doing this work for women. Maybe you could be in that. I'm like, yeah, that would be great. But I really didn't know what it meant. And then when, when she assembled the cast, and I was like, oh, my God, like, these people like are the same age as my kids, like, you know, in the most part, for the most part, I think the closest in age to me was probably about 20 years younger. And then it went down from there, you know, <laughs> 30 years. And, stuff. and so then I thought, Oh, okay, well, she'll just have me kind of walk on and do something and walk off again, you know, but no, it wasn't like that at all. Like I was in, I was part of the group. And then it was like the process was, was not like a process I understood, you know, because we had to contribute, you know, we contribute choreographically. Everybody kind of owns the work. And Douglas Wright works like, Douglas worked like that a bit too when we worked um, in his, I was in the first um, incarnation of his company. And the pieces we made were like very much like that. You know, we'd sit, we'd talk, things would come out, he'd, he'd shape it. But Sarah's process was different again. But the thing that really struck me, probably more so, was the movement vocabulary that everyone was coming up with, you know, after we would all have a provocation or something. I was like, I can't move like that. I don't even know how you move like that. You know, because my body was so used to, I don't know, it was just trained in a different way. And I did not have the facility to move like these young dancers are moving. And I also didn't know, like in class, we do warm-up classes and we'd all take turns doing class. And I was just like, what is this? What is this? I don't even know how to move like this in a class. Like it was, it was really upsetting to me. And the, and the further I get into the process, the more depressed I got it. And I was depressed and I really, I didn't want to do it. I was just like, I can't do this. What am I doing? This is totally delusional. Why did I think I could do this? You know, I was almost 60 years old. I was just like, it was really, I have to say, it was really difficult, really difficult. But then I thought, oh, if I quit, that's going to be even worse. <laughs> I'll feel even worse. I'll feel worse about myself if I leave this project. So I kind of was stuck. I didn't feel good about what I was doing, and yet I didn't know how to get out of it. And the turning point came the day we opened the show in Auckland in 2017. And 
we got into the theater and I got on stage for the, we, like it was, a, it was during tempo. So it was a nuts schedule. It was like tech, dress, bull, show, everything, you know. And I got onto the stage and I just like went, oh my God. Yep. I'm here. Yep. I got this. I got it. And it was like such a huge thing for me because I was even going, oh my God, I'm never even going to get through this show. And like opening night was kind of a blur. And I even like, I know there was one point I totally lost it. And I was like, "Ah, I don't know what I'm doing, but it was such a revelation to me to go, I know why I'm here. I know why I'm doing this now. Whereas I had spent two and a half years doubting myself the whole time. And and I kind of, then I went back. So then when I was writing this piece and I was trying to, you know, make sense of it, I came back to that idea of what is a mature dancer? You know, is it, is it, yeah, all those things. And then, then I, then I kind of came to the realization for myself that it, it did kind of relate to that idea of, of reaching a pinnacle of a, of a process and that what I was doing in there was basically just getting back to such a deep sense of knowing myself in the world. And, and I really, it, it was profound. I have to say it was very profound for me because I had, I had, I had struggled so the whole time with it, you know, and then I got to the space. So yep. Makes sense now. So that intergenerational, back to your question, the intergenerational aspect of dance, I think, can can benefit everybody. Like, I can't speak for the other dancers in the in the in the group. I don't know what it was like for them to work with me. I'm incredibly respectful of all of them. You know, like I was in awe of what they could do, and they and I think they they tolerated me sometimes because, especially in the beginning. And I don't mean this is a self-deprecating way, but especially in the beginning, I would be much slower in picking up stuff or remembering, remembering, you know, once we started really setting things, I was much slower in, re- in remembering sequences. And so I was, I just was very uh, conscious that they might be tolerating me and, you know, making, making allowances for me because it took me a bit you know, we'd have to do something again, whereas they'd be ready to move on. So I, I can't speak for them, but I can say that I think the, the process was really unlike anything that all of us had gone through because this lack of intergenerational um, thing. And dance is such a youth-oriented profession. Again, like I say, unlike music and, and drama, you know. People aren't expected to dance past, I don't know what the age limit they say now is, but, you know, when I was young, people would go, oh, you're 35, like, you know, you shouldn't really dance anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I, th- I think one thing that really struck me in that was one of the... Um, I, th- I think the, the, the working process of creating your own material is one where that that can be incredibly fulfilling because you are owning your material. However, the way that we communicate that to be shared with the other members of a cast can be extremely um, problematic if we don't give enough space for each member to then 
own it themselves, even Mm -hmm. if that means changing the material slightly, you know, like the, just the, Mm. the authoritarian nature of unison, for example, is like a whole different, um, subject. Um, and when we have casts that come from a similar cultural, socioeconomic, historical age background, yeah, probably they can probably take it on similarly, but does that reflect the world that we're in, you know, and, yeah. and mm. do our dance casts reflect our, our world, you know, and, 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 and if they do, does the material that is even in that work reflect that cast specifically? And I think yeah. that, that space needs to be facilitated um, in a, in a nurturing way. Um, so I, yeah, I, I really appreciate you sharing that and, you know, you know, doing what you were talking about being vulnerable. Um, and I mean, I wonder, this is like kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, but like, do you, do you, what, do you have like solutions? I don't know. Solutions is such a weird word because there's no solutions, but like suggestions, like more intergenerational casts, you know, or does it come from, from our working methodologies? Like the the processes we're in, does it come from um, hiring practices, from teaching practices? Like how do we facilitate this? Because, because, those younger dancers, they learned lessons from you that you, they needed to learn and hopefully mm. they carry with them. However, if the next seven processes they're in after that are all a bunch of 20-year-olds again, then probably that lesson is lost. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a, that's a really big question. Uh, I have to say, just you know, to step back like, Sarah was incredibly, um, uh, she did it. <laughs> I think, and this is what surprised me in the beginning. She didn't like, um, make amends for me or go, Oh, you know, you know, no, it was like, this is what you're doing. You're doing it, you know? And for me, that just, that just made me step up. And I think within the group, also, it was like, yeah, okay, we're all in this together. And so the other dancers, too, were like, I think maybe they were unsure when we started what my what my place would be in it and how I would cope with it. But once we got that, we knew from Sarah that we were equal, then they accepted me. They accepted me like that. I'm sure they, you know, they did. A couple things, I think, with your question. And I I guess this relates to what I just said. I don't think Sarah got me in there. I mean, yes, see, this was the tricky thing. Like, I thought, oh, am I just like the token old women here? You know, and some of the reviews kind of said that, oh, she's the matriarch. It's like, okay, sure. I mean, I can't deny that I was was the matriarch. I mean, those people, some of them were like my kids. And I had moments when I could relate to some of the material, and I, I suppose it's because I, I, am, I imbued material with it. That mother-daughter thing, you know, one of the dancers who I partnered with a lot was the same age as my daughter. And I could, I could just relate a lot to that. But so Sarah, yes, you know, she had this vision of an intergenerational thing. I was able to 
to be there and do it. But I think in the end, it became more than just me being the old woman. <laughs> and, and I guess what I'm trying to say is, I don't think you should make intergenerational, people should make intergenerational work for the sake of it. To say, isn't it interesting? We can have an old person and a young person on stage together. It's like, I felt like I held my own. In the end, I was able to see that. Like, yeah, I, I have qualities as a dancer that, you know, I can bring something. I can bring something to the, to the stage. And I, I, I know I'm a good performer. Like I know I, it's where I feel most at home and it's where I, I feel most alive really. And so it kind of got past that. For me, it got past it. And I, and it's funny actually, once we started performing, I never even thought of myself as the older person. I just was part of, part of the group. So I guess that thing about, you know, if you want to have a mixed cast, do it, but don't do it to make a statement. Because I don't think that will work. I don't think that would work. I think you want to work with certain people because of their qualities that they bring to the work, not because the different ages. Mm. Yeah, I um, I lived in Berlin for quite a while, and I I feel like in 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 Europe there's like a concerted effort to make mixed casts, and it often gets token tokeny. Is that a word? Mm. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I appreciate your response. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess, um, I'm just going to check. Ah, oh, I, re- I, w- I'm curious about this. The, the last question, um, what do you consider to be a mentally sustainable professional practice? Well, it's obviously individual for everyone. You know, everyone has to find the way to do that. And funnily enough, <laughs> I think it also has to do with what stage you're at in life. You know, like for myself, uh, I have to do something every day. I do, I do, do, I do movement every day. You know, I cannot not do that. And I probably have always been like that. But there was a period, like in my 30s, when I had small children, it didn't happen all the time. I couldn't. I couldn't make it happen, you know? And so I think you have to be, you have to find that balance in your life of when, when you can go hard in your dancing and when you can't. And as I get older, I'm more forgiving of myself, you know, that that's what you have to do, that you can't always be at the peak, whatever. But I think, finding your own practice, whatever that is, but also knowing, and I think this is something that, um, or maybe not knowing, allowing yourself to do, to do that, to take the time to find it, whatever it is as well. Um, you know, like if it's getting up an hour early and doing something, or if it's going to find a class, which is really hard, it's very difficult to find a class. I think in the past, maybe it's getting better now, but I think in the past in New Zealand, it was hard. There was a time there when there was not many classes to go to, um, or, you know, going to whatever going, I mean, uh, if it's even, if it's a gym, whatever, but I think 
it's important that you that you recognize that you need it like i know like getting back to the to, to the mental health situation for me i know i get really unwell when i don't move and i just know that now like i have to i have to do something every day every day like 7 days a week it doesn't matter and if i don't i kind of lose lose interest in things <laughs> and so i think if you if people can maybe tune in a bit more to realize that about themselves like even if there isn't a class to go to you know or you don't have any money or you know you're living in an environment that's not productive to that if you tune into it and go why am i feeling bad uh i haven't haven't moved today i haven't danced i haven't done my yoga i haven't done whatever um yeah i think that's important i mean i think that's one of the things like the positive things that has come out of covid-19 is realizing mm -hmm. like i actually can take a, i can do dance at home for free or donation um and yeah um, yeah and yeah and also like, we love to dance <laughs> we should dance <laughs> yeah 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 and i also think it's important to validate just dancing in your living room by yourself to random music for half an hour and that is a practice in itself yep and that if you're not going to these big expensive classes all the time and you're you've still got to practice and you're still valid and you're not less of a dancer because you're not spending $80 on a masterclass. That, I think those are the things that, especially uh, me and my cohort, mm. we went through for, for a bit, was just saying, like, I haven't been to a dance class in so long, but I've still been dancing at home, or I've still been just in a studio by myself, and, like, realizing that that's a practice in itself. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And that you need, you know, that we need that. I guess dancers, we need it. Because sometimes dancing by yourself in your home is more, it's more productive, or it's better for you than going to a company class or <laughs> than going to a studio. You know, like it's a different mode, but it's still valid in itself. And sometimes yeah. you just need a, a different mode or a more specific mode than what a certain class can offer you. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also being open to that changing through time. You know, I, um, and that like, I went through a phase of like really needing ballet every day and now I'm in a phase of needing improvisation every day. Yeah. That's what I mean. I mean, I think you do go through stages mm -hmm. where some things are really crucial and other times they're not. And, you know, even with getting back to orchids, I got, I got through a period in that first, in the first two years <laughs> where, you know, class was really difficult for me mentally. It was really difficult for me. And then and when we came back to it last year, I mean, we had a very short time. But I was like, you know what? I'm not, if I'm not, I mean, I'd come to the class, but I might not do the whole class. And it was okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like far out, you know, I'm 61 years old. It took me that long to realize that. <laughs> but I did and I felt much better for it mm, mm, mm. yeah honoring yourself <laughs> even the extension of that of just listening to yourself and being like nope I cannot go to a class today or like I just need a day to 
just sit outside and not dance or not go to a class like and allowing yourself to do that without beating yourself up that's also something that we spoke about in our podcast with Miriam is that this need for a lot of us recent graduates to be making something be doing something be in a show and it's quite destructive to yourself and like Miriam was saying that what it was doing was forcing her to produce work that she wasn't proud of and work that she wasn't interested in you know just because of this this like underlying thing that's not really there but it is definitely there of if you're not doing something you're not a dancer mm-hmm. yes you know? mm. but but this is but this is the the unique thing about dance too right because a you know my one of my responses to that as well you know you use it or lose it you know you like it like it, it there is, is a real consequence as a dancer if you don't dance and then you get back into it of injury, you know, like there are, there are real consequences of being inactive. And I know that's not what you're saying totally. Cause you, you know, I know you have to find your own practice, but the other thing is that, um, uh, you know, there are different ways to, uh, well, the should and the shouldn'ts, you know, like I should be doing this. I should be doing that. It's a very, um, I don't know, like, with dance, it's very particular as well, because you see other works, and dance is always like about new things as well. Mm-hmm. So you see other works, you oh, you know, I'm not, in, I'm not doing these new things. When again, it's different from music and drama, mm-hmm. you, where you can slot into a repertoire, you can slot, but it's like dance. It's like this need to constantly be creating and to constantly mm-hmm. be involved in some new thing. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. It's 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 not mm-hmm. easy. It's not mm-hmm. an easy profession. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wonder if that. I mean, now we're opening up again. But <laughs> I wonder if that newness, like, does it is it in, internal or external? You know, is it like in response to audiences? You know, and or is it in response to us and potentially? And is it like a competitive thing or is it a learning from each other thing? Like I saw this work and I'm so inspired. I want to do something similar, but like go further, you know, I don't know. Mm. I think Um, it's partly that. I think it's just the nature of the, of the, of the art form. mm. It's about creating new things. And, and even ballet you see now, it's more of that, Mm. isn't it? You know, way more than it used to be. Mm. You know, the rep, the ballet rep was the ballet rep. And now it's like, so much new creation in ballet. Um, I think audiences do demand to see new work. There's something about, there's something about that. I'm acutely aware of it here in the United States because there are these like canonical companies and, you know, they might roll out a work like, and I'm talking about contemporary, you know, like Cunningham or, you know, like there are, there are works. And sometimes I think, Hmm, not sure that work should be rolled out. You know, there's something about it where it just seems so dated sometimes. Or it's like, I don't know, like, what is that? What is that doing in the, in 2020? Like, Mm. like we go, go back to that first question. Like, what is it saying about now? I don't think it's saying anything Mm. about now. I don't think it relates at all to now, but then sometimes it's important to see those old works because it does tell you something about the past. It's a, it's a strange one. I saw the Graham company perform like the last time I was in New York, which was like three years ago now. And, um, 
it was really cool. It was like, whoa, this is so retro, you know? And, but like, but not retro in a, like, in a, like, this is the past. It was like a, like, you know, like the, the, the hipsters wearing, you know, these, you know, flannels again that they wore in the nineties, you know, it, it was just this like, oh, we take the old and make it new again or whatever. It was, mm. it was, it was wild. I was like, wow, this is so, this is so innovative. And it's, and it's, <laughs> but you know, I had the opposite thing. I saw the Taylor company here last yeah. year yeah, and I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> I was asleep. Yeah. There was nothing. And it was partly the way the dancers performed. There was no, nothing coming from them. You could tell they had done the works a million times. They weren't interested mm. at all. But the vocabulary, too. I mean, it's kind of Sankras, you know, especially if Douglas was still alive, he'd kill me. But it was like, oh, God, you know, what, what is this? Like, what is this? Yeah, it was cool in the 50s and 60s, but it's not cool. And I don't know why they're doing it if they're not going to. I don't know. I was very disappointed. Mm. I was just, it just, it said nothing to me. Mm. And mm. so I, I think dance is a funny thing like that with repertoire. Sometimes it's great to see older works. Like you say, with some of those grand pieces are, oh my God, like they're really, you know, heartfelt, mm. but I, it maybe depends on the performers. Yeah. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Um, this has been like really, um, filling and opening and um mm. just yeah uh it, it's just such a, a a privilege to get to speak to you um especially since you're in so far away <laughs> right now yeah, um, I'm yeah. Right. oh yeah. thank you well thank you for allowing me because it's it's you know, I, I, I appreciate what you say, Fasu, in the beginning. Like, some of this stuff is very personal, and it is very, it's unique to what we do. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you don't often get a chance to talk about it, because people just don't get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these yeah. are the conversations that need to happen and need to happen often, because so many things I've just learned just from this one-hour conversation. <laughs> and if, yeah, no, this, these need to happen more often. Within dance, but also, I mean, we, we released our first podcast yesterday and my partner listened to it and he was like, and he's a, a scientist and he was like, wow, dance sounds terrible. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, it's not, it's not terrible, but it is difficult. And these conversations mm. are starting to happen and um, that's good. It, Mm. yeah oh it's great it's fantastic i appreciate what you're doing so much yeah uh, thank you so much marianne schultz um we hope you've enjoyed this podcast where we've talked to marianne and had the privilege to learn a little bit about her life and her history oh thank you so much thank you